The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, so, as I was preparing this talk, um, I was actually in a pretty joyful mood and I wanted to talk about joy, but then, I don't know, something happened. <laughs> And I think a lot of the anxiety about this talk bubbled up, and what came up was suffering. So <laughs> I decided to talk about compassion <laughs> because that is what came up. Um, and it has been really an important part of my practice, and probably the most meaningful part of my practice. So I thought um, if I want this to be a heartfelt talk, that speak from, speak from that place. So it really is about the capacity of the heart to open to suffering. And um, during the half-hour sit that we did, I just wanted to plant the seed sometimes. Um, We kind of don't notice a lot of the reactions we have towards unpleasant feelings or challenging emotions or or really um, persistent, ugly thoughts. And... um, one of the things that helps is to just sometimes notice what's coming up, but also notice your response to it. And for me, um, it was just just mortifying to see how difficult it was to be with suffering for most of my life. And um, I think when I started to see that after establishing some measure of mindfulness, that um, it was just more painful for me. And um, slowly, slowly I realized if I wanted to continue with this practice, I really needed to work on something to soften my heart to what I was seeing and develop some practices that um, could help me move forward. Um, I think I, I found in my life that I just wasn't connecting the way I wanted to with myself or with people and what I saw were were compassionate responses of other people and I felt were so lacking in myself Um, um, and the judgment around that was just was bad as well so there was double, triple, quadruple suffering (laughs) Um, but I have to say as I um, continued with this and really sometimes just with the intention and motivation of wanting my heart to open and wanting to be able to have an appropriate response to the suffering in the world. Um, It was was enough for me to... the willingness to see that, to see what was coming up in my own heart, was sometimes enough. And I may not have had the boundless loving heart that I wished for in the beginning, but I felt just enough of a difference, enough of a change, enough of a softening, um, that it was something that I felt was the most worthwhile endeavor in this lifetime anyways for me. So... 
kind of compassion I, I want to talk about is called relative compassion or relational compassion, kind of the worldly compassion we have towards others and how we engage in the world. And um, I think the first step was that for me was to was to to be willing to see that you know my heart wasn't so kind all the time. <laughs> um, and in a lot of instances, um, it felt indifferent. It was my way of protecting. And um, it, for a long time, it was fine. I think I glided through life okay with that for a while. Plenty of distractions to keep me busy and occupied. But I think something deeper wanted to come out. And um, I think somehow... during the mindfulness practice and establish some foundation with being with the present moment, um, a lot of what was arising was was not pleasant and it was actually uh, just painful. And um, in order to sit with that, I think Being in the body was really important. I felt that a lot of the pain and suffering that I had was stored in my body, and there was a tremendous amount of discomfort and pain and uh, anxiety, everything around it. And um, it took uh, it took a sustained practice and a willingness to to stay with it. Um, and not that there were any miracles at the beginning. <laughs> But I have to say that um, it made me want to sit. Uh, it made me want to sit a retreat. It made me want to sit for a longer period of time where there wasn't a lot of distraction and a lot of outside input, and where I really felt like I wanted to see a little more clearly and a little more deeply what was actually going on, instead of just being blindly reacting to what was unpleasant by pushing it away and what was pleasant by just reaching for it. And it was so instinctual. Like the patterns and the conditioning were so deeply ingrained um, that I really felt just to give me half a chance, I needed to sit for some sustained period of quiet to um, access that and access it with the ability to see all my judgments around it and see um, how much suffering there was. So, um, I remember when I sat my first retreat and it was with Gil and <laughs> it was a 10-day retreat and I could feel my heart just wanting to crack open and it was so painful. It just couldn't. There was so much resistance. There was so much fear of what was going to come out. There was so much um, packed in for, I don't know, 38 years, I think. Maybe I sat that first retreat six or seven years ago. Um, But I felt the support of the community, which was really lovely. I felt the support of the practice. I felt the support of maybe two years that I had done of a of a sitting practice, which wasn't even daily at the time. Maybe I was coming here once a week. But every little bit I felt like contributed and helped me. 
And um, I was actually pretty surprised that 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 much armor <laughs> around my heart could really could really open and I think there was a river of tears <laughs> for days <laughs> but it felt so tremendously liberating to know that it was possible for somebody that I felt like wow I just meet maybe uh, this not very caring person for the rest of my life um because enough that I just didn't want to go through my life that way anymore. And um, it's made me want to sustain a practice, and it's made me want to um, at least share some of the teachings um, that I've been lucky enough to have and um, share the benefits of what it's like to, um, to keep that practice going, because it, uh, it's not like I had this... Um, magical thinking that once my heart was open I just thought it might go the rest of my life and love everybody and that would be fine but the patterns really just keep coming back and I just had to see it over and over and over again and um, I had to sustain a stronger practice for me to uh, really engage the way that I wanted to engage with myself and, um, and with others So I kind of cheated this afternoon while I was preparing for this talk. I listened to one of Joseph's talks on compassion for some inspiration. And um, um, in my minimal preparation, um, I did want to share what he says are two ways to practice compassion. And that is um, the first way is to purify your own heart and mind as a foundation for for helping others and engaging in a healthy um, way with others and responding to their suffering in a way that I think um, we all want to be able to respond to suffering. Um, and I think that comes from establishing some measure of mindfulness and some measure of concentration to be able to stay with what's challenging and what's difficult. Um, um, And that's what I understood. And the second way, which um, may be a little bit harder, (laughs) is to, is a practice of putting others um, before oneself um, as an aspiration. And um, I have to say that one when I first heard that was a little bit harder for me because um, coming from a, an Asian culture and socialized as an Asian woman, I felt like my whole life was putting other people before me. and <laughs> I didn't really have a friendly attitude towards that. Um, but I think what he means in this way is that um, it feels very different doing it from a place of uh, empathy and acting out of compassion than it does out of duty or expectation. And that's been something that I've had to watch consistently because the patterns are to act out of duty and 
obedience and expectation. And that doesn't usually feel very good. Um, I don't think for, at least for the giver, but I'm not sure how it feels for the receiver. Um, But when it comes from a place of real care and empathy and a desire to see someone else's suffering um, alleviated, it feels, um, feels very nourishing in a lot of ways. So, um, there was a brief quote that I, I looked up that I found also very ins- inspirational, and I just want to share that with you. It's from Shanti Deva, and it uh, goes For as long as space endures, and for as long as living beings remain, until then, may I too abide to dispel the misery of the world. And uh, I have two responses to that. It's uh, the heartfelt response, which is like, that's beautiful. I mean, thank God that somebody <laughs> really feels that way and can act from that place. And in that way, it's in- inspiring to me. And... Um, my mind goes, oh my God, <laughs> that's, a, that's a tall measure. It's really, it asks, that asks a lot. And most of the time I realize I, ca- I can't give that or my heart doesn't feel so full to give that. But um, maybe it's enough to have that aspiration. Maybe it's enough to at least plant the seed um, and be really compassionate with myself uh, when maybe, you know, I'm, my heart, the natural reaction of my heart isn't one of compassion. Sometimes, and oftentimes it still closes. It's not like all the years of my life of it reacting um, to protect itself just magically go away. Um, But it has opened enough for me to know that it's possible, and it has opened enough for me to be full of anxiety and prepare for this talk, (laughs) to want to share whatever I can and whatever um, can translate to anybody out there that will listen. Um, So, um, as part of my training, we were lucky enough to have uh, Tan Jeff, a visiting monk, come and talk to us about what it takes to teach and give a talk. And uh, he said in his tradition, Dharma talk should be no longer than 20 minutes. <laughs> Whatever you say, you should be able to say in 20 minutes. And um, I really jumped on that one. <laughs> Um, some of the other things were a lot harder, um, having 10 years of sitting in a monastery, <laughs> which I clearly don't have, um, to make me slightly peevish about coming up here. But um, I, I actually do uh, prefer to open it up and, um, and hear what, what you have to say, because um, I know that there's... <laughs> 
I know that there's suffering out there. <laughs> I know that we we want to we want to be able to to meet it in some way. I mean, most of the time we want to be able to get rid of it. I think, but I think at some point we know that doesn't work, and um, I think we all want to be able to um, have a compassionate heart towards ourselves and be able to meet others' suffering with some degree of care. Um, so, please, <laughs> I really welcome anything you have to share. Sure. Um, yes, so I, I understand you were doing some practices as, as she described, she introduced you as a psychotherapist? Or yeah, I have a master's in counseling psychology, and I worked as a therapist for many years. Uh, so can you tell me how you incorporate mindfulness in your practice? You oh, well, I no longer practice as a therapist. Oh. <laughs> I did bring some mindfulness into uh, the facility where I worked. Uh-huh. Um, can you talk about that a little? Well, it was a psychiatric facility, and it was really very basic um, body and breath practiced uh, to try and, you know, help uh, the clients um, get out of their heads and embody. Um, very simple, much like the foundations of mindfulness practice of the body and the breath that we teach here. And so just finally, how, 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 did that, um, how did that help these people that you were working with? What, I mean, what, how, did, how did that help them? I'm just I'm trying to... Well, I, I think like um, most of us, um, they would just be very much caught in their thoughts um, and spiraling into a lot of negative thinking and a lot of... Um, harmful thoughts, and in order just to give them some measure of, of release from that, it, it's an, it was an important practice to come into the body, as it, is, as it was for me, as, a, as I think it is for a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you. Great talk. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I have a specific question. Uh, You referred to quality of interest a couple of times. I was just wondering if you could sort of explain that, I guess. Uh, Well, really, I was looking around the room, and I noticed this drop in energy. (laughs) And some people, you know, a little nodding off. So it is really like a response to what's, um, you know, what I see in the room, and sometimes a little bit of interest wakes us up. Um, it's also a quality that helps us stay present. If um, you can get quite bland, to, you know, to follow the breath. You know, for a lot of people, the breath is quite boring. Um, but if there's some interest in how the body breathes, it, it can be quite remarkable. If you can drop into that, the body t- tends to breathe itself, and there's different sensations. And sometimes the quality of interest helps us stay with that and keeps us there for a little bit longer than a few breaths. Um, It helps establish the mindfulness. 
As, as with anything, if you have interest in it, you're more likely to stay present for it. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, so when I hear quality of interest, I wonder, well, interest in what way am I uh, mm-hmm. inquiring about, you know, so if I, um, uh, so while I'm breathing, there's physical sensation. I feel coolness in my nostrils or, and, you know, some kind of um, sort of uh, almost like a focus sort of towards the center of my head or whatever. But um, I guess when I'm in, when I'm not meditating, when I'm interested in things, I'm usually uh, investigating or analyzing which I don't really think is what we want to do here. No, I, that's why I use the word interest. Um, I think that amount of interest is enough interest to keep you present. If it's enough interest to keep you present, you don't want to spin off into analysis or, or what you call uh, probing. You know, um, Sometimes it's just this balance because you, you give it the barest attention necessary but sometimes we'll lag, so it requires a little bit more, you know, energy or interest. But it sounds like if you can stay with that and notice sensations of coolness, of sensations of focus of those things, then that's that's enough interest. Does that make sense? Um, you you talked about um, like. Um, before you really got into a consistent practice, that you felt that you had a lot of suffering in your life, or especially in looking back and recognizing mm-hmm. the difference. But you also said connected to that, at least I think you said connected to that was a lot of physical body pain. And so I'm wondering now, um, have you what what kind of pain? You know, I, I'd like to know more about that and how did and has it changed with the regular meditation practice and a more mindfulness practice in your daily life? Um, there was tremendous amount of pain. I felt like uh, so much stress, tension, anxiety, all in my neck, shoulders, back, um, and sitting that first retreat for ten hours a day was incredibly painful for somebody who had never sat that long before. Um, And my teachers would say, over time your body will get used to this posture, which it did. And that's that's one aspect of it. I mean, the body does get used to sitting. Um, And with mindfulness, I was able to stay more with the sensations rather than stay with the reaction to the sensations, (laughs) which was constriction and fear and panic and you know I had to meet those first but then over time I felt like as I was able to meet those all those reactions then the body was able to release a lot and it settled tremendously Um, so I think everybody carries their pain in different parts of their body and um I have to say, it was very hard to sit on in a daily in a daily pra- practice without some degree of discomfort. And it was really only after sitting for long periods and, and really being able to see what my reactions were to and my relationship to pain was. It was not friendly. 
<laughs> it was really just not friendly. Well, okay. So what, what do you mean by that? Because I also have, you know, some, you know, pain here, there, and everywhere. And when you say your reaction not being friendly, like, can you give me an example of what some of your thoughts may have been? I wanted them all to go away. <laughs> I mean, I would try prayer. I would try a bargain. I'll just everything. I wanted everything to go away. Um, and um, I had to really see that I wasn't really meeting the pain. I was just reacting to the pain. So how do you, when you say meeting the pain, then could you, like, how did you do that? I had to see my reaction to the pain first. <laughs> I had to really see how tied up I was around unpleasant things. My, the patterning and conditioning around unpleasant things was so deeply ingrained. It took, uh, it took a while. It took quite a while for me to, to be able to be with that first. So it's... it's um, so another way of saying maybe meeting that pain is to um, move into it and just be with it, to just allow it to be its own thing without any judgment or reaction and to just allow it to have its own process. Eventually, eventually I was able to do that, but it took me quite a long time to go, go through all the things that were <laughs> preventing me or keeping me <laughs> from doing that. And eventually... When there's enough mindfulness and enough concentration, then it just can be just sensation, or it can be an emotion that's there, or it can be something, and then that shifts and moves. Mm -hmm. And the ability to stay with even really painful things increases. The Mm -hmm. ability to stay with those things really, I felt, rise. And then my confidence would rise, and then my ability, you know, all those things that come with that would rise, would would also grow. Thank you. Welcome. Um, I I don't know quite how to put this, but um, uh, when you when you have more compassion um, for everything, um, well, how how do you avoid feeling? There's more pain also when there's more compassion. Is what I notice, and you feel a lot more pain. So. Is that usual, or are you just looking at? Is it is it a misunderstood kind of compassion? Is um, because the more you open your heart, the more the more the, the more there seems to be um, a pain, you know, for for all for whatever it is for for people, certain people, a lot of people, injustice and. Whatever it is, but you, you you just seem to have a, a lot more pain in general. It seems to me, and is that just something you need to live with, or 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 are you? Could it be that you're understanding it the wrong way, or do you do you understand my question? I do. Because I don't um, quite understand. Yeah, because compassion. Co- <laughs> <laughs> well, compassion is the response to suffering. So. Um, Yes. <laughs> um, there is pain associated, and it's why I wanted to talk about it. It's the thing that I couldn't really access, I couldn't really feel, you know, I'd, I'd just kind of buried. But it wasn't helping me. It wasn't fe- I wasn't feeling deeply connected to anything, really. And um, yes, there was 
tremendous amount of pain. <laughs> and it was okay. I was so relieved that I could feel the pain on some level. And, and it came with all the other supports of practice, so it wasn't like drowning in sorrow. That's, that's a risk. You don't, want to be able, you don't want to drown in sorrow. But, you know, I think the heart has the capacity to hold a tremendous amount of pain with care, when there's care, when there's empathy, uh, when there's this movement to want to alleviate the pain. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of, you can't avoid the pain. (laughs) Um, And it does come as part of, I think, it's response of compassion. It's it's also not pity. I felt like I thought I, I knew compassion when I was younger, but that was pity, and pity is based in fear, because I don't want to be that way, you know, I don't want that to happen to me, you know, it's that response. And I found, like, a compassionate response was more like, oh, I can open my heart to this pain. If I can open my heart to this much pain in me, then I, I think I have the capacity to open my heart to that much pain out there in someone else. How do you um, avoid... avoid uh feeling the anger that is sometimes accompanied with the compassion that you see from injustice and not feeling anger because that's what I find sometimes it's like right after the compassion is anger for the um, for the perpetrator of the injustice I don't think you can avoid the anger and I don't think um, I think anger is an appropriate response to a lot of the injustices in the world but there's a difference between seeing it arise and acting out of anger, um, I think we can also meet anger um, and know that it's anger because there's a lot of injustices. And see if there's can be some place in the heart where you can have compassion around that. Actions out of compassion seem to me so much kinder than actions out of anger. Um, Uh, thank you for your talk. Um, and I just related to uh, what you were saying about um, the two parts of compassion um, because um, I had to feel compassion for myself first. And when that happened on my spiritual journey, it was really, a, you know, like you said, a liberating feeling. But it was sort of like an out-of-body experience where, you know, you know, I came out of my body and I saw this this young man who was conditioned by his environment and by his family. And, um, and I had compassion for it. You know, I, I felt for him, and yeah, I cried too. And it wasn't until then um, I could notice compassion for other, or yeah, I could, I could have compassion for um, other people. And um, so uh, I really related to that. And um, just one question would be, um, do you have any like tips in your daily life that you do to get mindful or um, to relieve anxiety or stress? I, I come back to the breath. That's the easiest for me. It's the most accessible. And I also notice attitude. Like my old attitudes of wanting things to go away still come up. Um, um, that's why I, want, I kind of planted that in. The, sometimes it's really helpful to know your response to the unpleasant or the suffering that that arises because that's the place where we're going to react to it. Um, So if I can catch it, 
I will notice, oh, God, I hate this. Uh, and then I can just be with that. You know, you, you can apply compassion to wherever you, you know, you meet it. So that's when I remember. <laughs> Remembering is really an important part, yeah. Um, for me, my experience of compassion frequently morphs into something like perpancha, where mm. the rather than just being with whatever the object of the compassion is and just being with it you know in itself, a storyline builds. And then it turns, it, it escalates, and it, 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 it turns into a self-sustaining source of suffering, Papancha. Yes. So, so, so where do you, or how do you manage that, you know, in terms of uh, not going there? I wish I could make it go away. <laughs> but the fact that you notice that it happens is actually pretty big. I think most of the time we go there, we don't even know what's happening. And you can only meet it when you catch it. That's the point of practice. Oh, I've gone into that story. And that's, that's where you can, you know, that's where usually, you know, the story can stop. And you can, maybe by that time you don't have the compassion anymore <laughs> because it turned into anger or whatever. But that's what you meet. Because um, it happens so fast. It's very hard sometimes to, to, to sustain it. And that's one of the reasons why a daily sitting practice or retreat practice, it builds a little momentum so that the reactions, you can catch them a little bit sooner. Or you'll know your relationship to suffering. You'll know what happens when you see certain types of suffering. You, you know, like I used to laugh inappropriately sometimes when I would hear people suffering because it was so uncomfortable. You know, it, only, it took so long to realize that's, that was horrible, you know. But it, it's a little practice in the willingness to see, oh, that's how I react to it. I'll go to my head and tell a story about it. So... I'm sorry, what was the word that you used? Pro... Oh, what does that mean exactly? That means mental proliferation. <laughs> it's the ability of the mind to just, you know, go into a storyline and add this, that, that, and pretty soon you don't even know what you've started. <laughs> well, um, we may end early. <laughs> I'm welcome if anybody else has any questions or wants to share their relationship to suffering. There we go. Uh, Two things. The the physical pain, um, it can also, I have felt, be too much and then it's no longer fruitful Mm. Um, I mean a certain amount of being able to just sit inside it and not be reactive to it I think is great but I've also had to to be gentle with myself and uh, 
and recognize what this body at this age can do, having not started with this. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing about compassion and um, the pain and then the anger, for me, um, no, 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 first of all, I wanted to ask you, so uh, certainly the emotional pain um, is something that I find that is very interesting. I can have a high degree of interest in my emotional pain because it's all about me, right? Um, so that's, that's interesting. But to be able to sit and look at that um, and stay inside that and bear that, um, that to me has somehow lately been much more um, important than the physical one. So I don't know what you have to say about that. I, I don't think it's a, it's a question of uh, valuing one more than the other. I think they both are important in there. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, I, I want to thank you for uh, mentioning um, the level of physical pain and what we can work with. That's really important because there have been plenty of people that I have met that have really pushed through physical pain and damaged their bodies. So it is really important to know what you can handle um, and what is physical pain that you shouldn't really sit through. Um, it's good to talk to a teacher about that. I think we have some internal mechanism that will keep us from damaging ourselves too much, but sometimes our will is <laughs> can be quite strong. So thank you for bringing that up. It's important to remember that. And I think the same goes with emotional pain. We, I think we deal with what we can. We deal with what we want to. We want to be able to meet, and um, sometimes it's too much to bear. I have found there are times when um, it's been too much to bear and I've really had to pull back. And working with the teacher really helps because sometimes we're not the best judge um, and someone else can really see we're going down a hole and it's not fruitful at some point. That's true. Um, so if you can work with the teacher when you're going through something particularly difficult, um, trauma, for instance, that... I remember there was a lot of trauma, body trauma and physical trauma, emotional trauma that came up for me, and it was really important for me to work with a teacher through that because um, I wanted to work through everything. And there were times when it was just good to take a walk, <laughs> to get a cup of tea, you know. So skillful means. I mean, yes. when can I sit inside it and when do I go and do something, like you said, take a walk or do metta practice or take myself away from intense suffering and remind myself of the beauty? That's, uh, that's part of us too. Yes. Yeah. So the only other thing was about the, uh, the, the compassion and the anger. It seems to me when I've been really able to uh, note my anger and and be with my anger, uh, invariably I have to come to a place of real compassion for myself because anger is such a painful felt experience, I think, for me anyway, and I've heard other people talk too. So um, for me the way it works is if I can really be uh, in, understand the anger, it's going to make me more compassionate just because it's so painful. Yeah. Yes, if that, yeah. if that yeah, works for you. I found for me that anger can also be a very powerful body experience. It mm -hmm. takes the entire body and 
can uh, make it feel like a rocket. But um, a teacher once said that, and I found this true, <laughs> if you can stay with any emotion, it usually doesn't last longer than 90 seconds. And on deep retreats, I've really felt when I can stay with the emotion the entire time, it rarely lasts longer than 90 seconds. If we are not feeding it with the story, then uh, it does have the capacity to pass through us. And then hopefully maybe some compassion <laughs> afterwards, because it can be quite, quite phenomenal. <laughs> so, thank you. I've heard I've heard ninety seconds. Yeah. I've heard most of them I felt have been less than that and if they're really, really intense, yeah. Ninety seconds is a long time actually for an intense emotion. Okay. Well, I, I really thank the level of participation um, from all of you, and um, I had more fun than I thought I would here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thank you very much, and uh, may this practice benefit all beings. Thank you. <laughs>